This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Film Spotting SVU is presented by Movies on Demand on cable, bringing the latest indie movies into your home at the touch of a button. Amanda Seyfried plays the title role in Lovelace, a biopic about the infamous adult film actress. Prince Avalanche is the latest offbeat comedy from David Gordon Green, starring Paul Rudd and Emile Hirsch. Both movies are now playing on demand while they're in theaters. The latest independent films are ready when you are with Movies on Demand on cable. The art house is now in your house. This episode of SVU is also brought to you by Shutterstock.com. With over 700,000 high-quality video clips, Shutterstock helps you take your creative projects to the next level. For 30% off your new account, go to Shutterstock.com and use offer code SVU8. From New York City, this is Film Spotting, streaming video units. I'm Allison Wilmore. And I'm Matt Singer. And on this episode of SVU, we ready our homemade shivs to battle over whether the TV should be set to Toddlers and Tiaras or Planet Earth as we take a look at Netflix's latest original series, Orange is the New Black. And in honor of Orange is the New Black, we were going to share some personal stories about the times when we were each in prison. Matt for attempting to liberate a police horse from its service with the NYPD after a particularly emotional viewing of the Viggo Mortensen movie Hidalgo. I love you, Hidalgo! And me for placing that Craigslist ad offering up a very reasonably priced green card marriage, which is apparently illegal. Like I'm supposed to just make a living off of writing. <laughs> but that... You know, seemed a little off topic, so instead we're going to talk about prison movies in Q Shots, our look at some of the current offerings on various streaming and VOD sites and services, all centered around a current theme. But first up is Opening Break, a segment we do in conjunction with our sponsor, Movies on Demand on Cable, in which we spotlight a few notable films new on demand on cable. So Matt, what are our picks this week? Is Hidalgo count as a prison movie? Can I say that? It's prison of the soul? What? I don't know. I just want to talk about Hidalgo. <laughs> Change of plan, folks. <laughs> Coming up on Film Spotting Hidalgo Video Unit. Sorry. Uh, yes, opening break. Let's get to some picks. Uh, lots of uh, interesting looking movies coming out on BOD. I haven't seen any of these movies. These are all movies that I've missed so far this year and very much looking forward to catching up with. The first one is now available on demand and it's entitled West of Memphis. It's directed by Amy Berg. She's the filmmaker who made Deliver Us from Evil, which you can actually watch on Hulu Plus right now. Another fabulous documentary. That was the one about the Catholic priest who had molested children and 
that was an amazing documentary. This one, which was produced with Peter Jackson and Fran Walsh, who you may know from Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit. Never heard of them. Yeah, I know. The, the little filmmakers from New Zealand, but they're up and comers. You'll, you'll hear about them soon. Uh, and also produced by Damien Eccles, who is one of the subjects of the movie because this film is about the West Memphis Three. That was Eccles, Jesse Miss Kelly, and Jason Baldwin, who were tried and convicted for the murders of these young boys. And you may have heard of the story. It's a pretty famous one, already chronicled in a series of very good documentaries called Paradise Lost. There are three of those. Um, so I'm not really sh- – you know, when I heard about this project, I was sort of curious, like, what is there left to say? Because there's three films already, each one, you know, like two and a half hours long. But – you know, this movie, in spite of that, got fantastic reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. A ninety-five percent rating on Rotten Tomatoes, and I've heard, I, people have said, you know, even though even if you've seen the the previous the Paradise Lost films, which I have and really liked a lot, those are great documentaries. Apparently, this one, you know, has more to say. You get a different perspective, you know, because it's sort of almost like an authorized film in this case. Nothing ever happens in West Memphis, Arkansas. We've had three children missing since last night. Three young boys murdered in cold blood. It appeared that they had been sexually mutilated. Is it your opinion that these crimes were motivated by occult beliefs? Yes. Arrested at 2.44 p.m., charged with three counts of capital murder. It was like a nuclear bomb going off in the courtroom. Life imprisonment without parole. Death by lethal injection. And the terror of mortal men looked favorably on my sacrifice. They might have some new information, some new evidence. I'm not really sure about that, but really looking forward to seeing it. It's called West of Memphis. It's available now on VOD. Have you seen it, Allison? I have not yet. Yeah, I, I, I'm really looking. I mean, it's such a fascinating case, this crazy trial that, you know, these guys were convicted on the flimsiest of evidence and, and locked up for years and years and all these people working to set them free. It's, and all these people trying to protect themselves also, which seemed yes. to be a lot of what happened as the case became more notorious. Yes, a lot. Of, yeah, exactly. They went to prison and then they stayed in prison because no one wanted to admit that they had convicted the wrong people, basically. Yeah, it's really a, a horrifying story, basically, all around from the actual murders to the cover up. You know, it's just a series of, of horrors. But uh, yeah, it's West of Memphis, available now on VOD. Also available now on VOD is The Sapphires. This is a film directed by Wayne Blair. Really interesting story. This is a, a fictional film, but it's based on a true story about four Aboriginal women from Australia who formed a soul group called The Sapphires, and then they traveled to Vietnam to entertain the U.S. troops during the Vietnam War. And Chris O'Dowd co-stars in the film as the group's manager. Have you seen this one, Allison? No, not yet. And I've heard good things about it. And it was also the subject of a recent controversy where he was put first and foremost yes. in the DVD. Yeah, release. I didn't know. I didn't know how, if we wanted to mention that. Yeah, it's basically it's a story about the group first, primarily, and then their manager is sort of involved. And Chris O'Dowd, you know, it's like one of those movies where Chris O'Dowd probably has the and credit, so and so, so and so, so and so, and Chris O'Dowd. Um, but the American DVD Blu-ray cover... Put uh, the big star in front, right. basically. And, I mean, <laughs> the big star. No offense to Chris O'Dowd, but it's right. not like he's Tom Cruise. You know, right. the, the vaguely kind of guy, you know, the guy people sort of know from Bridesmaids. 
Uh, yeah, but like the cover, it's him on the cover, and then like the the actual group are like very faint in the background. You kind of can't even see what their skin color is. It's it's a right. it's really in poor taste. Right. But I mean, one of the things that's interesting about this film to me, have, I haven't seen it yet, but that they have how often do you see Aboriginal actresses, you know, performers in movies? It's right. Not you know, you rarely get to see have them having a story about them. Right. So, I mean, that sounds great. <laughs> it, yeah, and another very well-reviewed movie. This was a 92% on Rotten Tomatoes. So, one I'm looking forward to checking out, DVD cover or no. I guess on demand, there is no DVD cover, oh, so you don't have to... In the future. Yeah, exactly. So you don't have to worry about that. All right, so that is The Sapphires, available now. And finally, one more. We've got What Maisie Knew, that's going to be available on... August 13th. So by the time you are listening to this, it's basically going to be available. It's directed by Scott McGeehee and David Siegel. Based on the Henry James novel, it's about a couple played by Julianne Moore and Steve Coogan who break up and what happens to them and also to their daughter. That's Maisie. Uh, after they start new relationships with new people, the other sort of new uh, people they, they meet are Alexander Skarsgård and Joanna Vanderham, respectively. Another very well-reviewed movie from earlier this year. I didn't get a chance to see it. Me neither. I, I, we are terrible critics, apparently. We are. We're yeah. a little behind. But I guess that's what's good about... VOD. VOD yeah. is you can catch up with these things. And, it, you know, it's like... It's a good time, too, too, because I don't know about you, but uh, the summer is kind of wearing me down, Allison. It's been really wearing it's me pretty, down. It's, it's pretty it's dire. It's me feeling a little isolated from the multiplex, frankly. Yeah. Yeah. So this is good. You can kind of catch up with the good movies from the spring that we missed, right as the good movies from the fall are coming out as well. So that's What Maisie Knew, and that's going to be available on August 13th. This episode of the show is brought to you by Shutterstock.com. At Shutterstock.com, you will find the perfect image or video for your next creative project, whether it's for your website, a publication, an ad, a video, or anything else. You can choose from over 1 million high-quality stock video clips, 2D or 3D animation, and motion graphics. And they have clips in a variety of digital formats, and most come in HD. Uh, Shutterstock sources video clips from around the world and puts them at your fingertips. And many of the contributors to the site are professional filmmakers and animators. Shutterstock reviews each video individually for content and quality and adds over 10,000 video clips each week. So every time you visit, you'll find something new. Shutterstock gives you the video content you need to bring your creative projects to the next level, and they make it easy. They've got sophisticated search tools so you can drill down by category, resolution, contributor, and more. They've got shareable clip boxes. And they have a huge image library of photos, vectors, icons, and infographic templates for all your creative needs. And Shutterstock has flexible pricing, so you can choose between individual clips or video packs. And you can download clips in HD, or you can buy standard definition or web formats. Shutterstock is a complete global offering, and they have offices in more than a dozen countries with multilingual customer service and dedicated corporate reps and full-time customer support throughout the week. You can try Shutterstock today by signing up for a free account. There's no credit card needed. Just start an account, begin using Shutterstock to help imagine what your next project could be like, and save video selections you want to your clip box. If you decide to purchase, use offer code SVU8, and new accounts will receive 30% off any package. That's Shutterstock.com, and for 30% off new accounts, use offer code SVU8. We thank Shutterstock for their support of Filmspotting SVU. Ellis Boyd Redding. If I'll say you've served 40 years of a life sentence, you feel you've been rehabilitated? Rehabilitated? 
Well, now, let me see. You know, I don't have any idea what that means. Well, it means you're ready to rejoin society. I know what you think it means, Sonny. To me, it's just a made-up word. A politician's word, so that young fellows like yourself can wear a suit and a tie and have a job. What do you really want to know? Am I sorry for what I did? Well, I... There's not a day goes by, I don't feel regret. All right, so we're talking about prison... Well, I mean, it's a prison TV show is our main listener's choice review, but we're talking mostly here about prison movies, and I think that's an interesting distinction. Prison movies and prison TV shows, I think uh, often they're not necessarily about the same thing. I mean, well, yes, they're about the same thing and that they're about <laughs> prison, but just looking over some of the most famous and memorable prison movies and then comparing them with basically the most famous prison TV shows, which admittedly there are not that many of, I was thinking that prison movies are almost always about escape. And prison TV shows are almost always, with the exception of Prison Break, obviously, are not about escaping. They're more about, like, the day-to-day drudgery of prison life, which is definitely true of Orange is the New Black and the other most famous series, which is Oz. Right. You know, like, I thought that was interesting, that... You know, television shows, and this is maybe something general that we could say about movies and TV, is like television shows are allowed to be about like the interesting sort of smaller stories about character and like observational storytelling. Whereas the movie, you know, you've got two hours, so there can be a little bit of that, but there's got to be something important or serious or big. So every single example of like a really great prison movie, which I love, and some of them are amazing, they're almost all about characters escaping right well or trying to escape or try- yeah because they have to end right a movie has to end so right. it's very difficult to have a movie in which a character starts and stops in prison mm. the in, you know is in prison in the beginning or is going to prison and is in prison at the end that's true that's a good point it's hard to have a sense of closure there or to under you know it's not impossible but it's it's definitely a lot trickier which is why i think so many of these these movies either end with escape or with someone getting out right you know? and uh I, what I thought was interesting, just like thinking about the tropes of, of prison movies, is mm-hmm. that some of them are these incredibly gritty stories. Yes. And then some of them are basically kind of like macho weepies. <laughs> like, you yes, know, there's absolutely. a lot of like sentimentality. Or sometimes both. Sometimes both. Yeah. You know, like Shawshank Redemption, which is probably one of the best known prison movies For that sure. come up, you know, is definitely gritty. Like some really brutal things happen. Yes. But it is also like a swooping kind of like bromance bromance yes and yes. A, a celebration of this one guy and this like prison legend and a bit of this kind of community of prison prisoners right yes yeah yeah shawshank if you want to see that one which uh is going to be available on amazon itunes and youtube for rental but yeah you're right it's a it's a it's a world of of man weepies yeah a little like sports movies but again it's but it's kind of similar to sports movies in the sense that you always have these teams of misfits because again a lot of times they're about people breaking out and i was also thinking they're a little like heist movies too because they're again they're sort of like people thrown together they're criminals um, but likable criminals that's another trope of prison movies they're very rarely about horrible people who we hate they always are about horrible people or misunderstood people who we kind of like 
and they're but they're also working towards some sort of impossible goal. You know, it's always about the inescapable prison, and and it's like an incredible plan that has to be carefully con- you know constructed, but that always goes wrong. But then they have to improvise. There, there's a lot of similarities to the heist film. Yeah, I think also one thing, just touching on the whole idea of the male weepy there, you know, prison movies are just in essence, they're about like they're separated by gender, right? A prison is all male or all female. Right. Very rarely is there much interaction between the genders. Correct. And so that is plays a very important part in in the kind of structure of the story. Mm-hmm. It's uh, so many of these movies are about how men sometimes begrudgingly befriend each other and learn to trust each other in these situations in which they're placing contact. And, you know, those, all of these stories are cool hand Luke, you know, are, are about, are essentially bromances are about almost like falling in love with someone, you know, like just their company. Right. And in, in this context, cool hand Luke, you can stream that one on Redbox instant. You can rent it on Amazon, iTunes and YouTube. I think I said iTunes, but, it's there's plural. A, there's only one. There's, a, there's, there's, only, one there's only one iTunes. Let's be honest, guys. There's not multiples. One other uh, thing I wanted to mention before we get to some picks, and we're going to do the picks a little bit differently, and we'll explain that in a, in a second, is I just the observation, and again, it's true of Orange is the New Black. It's true of so many of these. I can't think of an example. Maybe someone can give us one, uh, but I couldn't think of one off the top of my head. The the setup of the prison movie always kind of shows the guards to be as bad or worse than the prisoners. I can't think of an example that shows the the inmates to be inferior to the guards. Always the guards are the bad guys. I mean, I guess you need to have a bad guy in a movie, and it wouldn't be a very interesting movie if like, if like it was about the heroic guards keeping the evil prisoners at bay. I guess that we wouldn't really want to watch that movie. But I couldn't think of it. Can you think of an example? No. I, you know, what I was thinking of is also an, uh, the Stanford prison experiment, right? Mm. Where some students were made as guards and some were prisoners. Right. And then just the kind of sadistic dynamic that evolved very quickly there. Right. And I this think is like a real psychological a real experiment. psychological experiment at That went so badly, like yes. they had to shut it down midway. It infamous. Right. And the students were sort of randomly put into two groups. Some were made uh, guards and some were made prisoners. And the... The students who were made guards became, like, so into their roles and were taking it so seriously and, like, violently that they had to shut the experiment down. Right. And I think that you see a lot of films about prison explore that dynamic of of being, like, you have a whole group of people who have or have been stripped of their rights and freedoms, you know, and are powerless, essentially, underneath underneath this structure of guards and that there seems to be just a natural abuse of that power that's just inherent to prison right absolute power corrupts and yeah it does it does kind of become a good place to do stories about that theme and also a little bit of uh you know like always there's like a microcosm metaphor thing where it's not just we're telling a story about a larger issue not just prisoners but authority and and uh, like you said, abuses of power and all that sort of thing. So what we're going to do with the picks, we're trying, we're mixing it up. We're trying to try to make it a little different here. I've already given you a few. If we mention something, we'll try to tell you if it's available. And uh, what we decided to do is kind of instead of a bunch of picks, we're going to do a little more targeted. We're each going to give you one pick uh, that's available on streaming and one pick that's available for rent. So you'll get one thing to rent, one thing to stream from each of us. Eh, mixing it up, trying something new, see how it goes. 
Allison, do you have a first pick? I do. And it's one that, you know, talk about about prison guards and a not very sympathetic or maybe not sympathetic, but like a harsh depiction. Yeah. It's Hunger, which is a 2008 film, the first feature from director Steve McQueen. It's available on Hulu Plus and Amazon Prime Instant Video. You can stream it via either of those services if you have a subscription. Uh, Steve McQueen, of course, has gone on to make Shame and has 12 Years a Slave coming out this year. Looked at as one of the big possible Oscar films. Not necessarily a prison movie, but just off the top of my head as you're describing, like, oh, it's the same kind of story, isn't right. it? Right. Yeah, yeah, the exactly. The oppressed about- and the evil kind of overlord yes, and all that and sort of thing. stripped of your rights Stripped and of your rights yes. and freedoms. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Okay, sorry so, to interrupt. Not at all. So, uh, Hunger is, it's, it's more experimental than Shame and than 12 Years a Slave appears to be. Yeah. It's, you know, I think the film tends to be talked about in conjunction with its second half, which features Michael Fassbender, who you know was not yet the big name that he is now, playing Bobby Sands, who led and died due to the second IRA hunger strike. Spoiler in the alert. Yes, yeah, spoiler alert. <laughs> um, and he does great work in the film. He's amazing, especially in the long take sequence in the center of the film in which he talks to his priest about the morality of the hunger strike. But the first half of the film is also really interesting. It's largely dialogue free. And it's this look at the maze prison in which the film takes place via the perspectives of both a prison guard and a new inmate. Uh, And it shows it starts off with a guard and it shows his kind of almost like shell shocked quality he keeps soaking his hands in the sink a sink full of water and you see that his knuckles are bloodied and later you see how he has bloodied those knuckles by like all of the guards just like treating the prisoners very very roughly and the way that the film is set up is very sensory it in a lot of these very unpleasant details from beyond like the guard wincing as he puts his hands in water the prisoners are engaged in uh, a no-wash protest where they are refusing to wear their uniforms. They're, so they have, like, blankets instead. They're nude. They smear feces all over the wall. They refuse to bathe, and so they have to be forcefully bathed by the guards. And I just the, the way these details are presented are really just hard to forget. It's this remarkable portrait of also how you can rebel in the context of prison, you know, when you have so few routes available to you to kind of get that attention and to kind of, you know, push back against the system. And in this case, all of these, what's, what's being protested is uh, the, the removal of uh, political prisoner status for these uh, IRA volunteers. Bit of a break from smoking the Bible, eh? All right. Anyone work out which pick is the best smoke? We only smoke the Lamentations. Right, miserable cigarette? Nice room. Very clean. Where is it you're from again, Tom? Born, you mean? Bally go backwards. Oh, the city dog. Bally Roberts. Oh, we play south of Bally Money. Kilray. I remember a homily you did at Mass one time. Oh, will you listen to it? Sure, the man holds you in very high esteem. I can feel a dig coming on. You're very quick. Right. Now you're respected, you know that. So it's really visceral and hard to watch, certainly, but pretty amazingly depicted. Uh, and, and Steve McQueen is just a very talented director in general. 
Uh, if you've seen Shame, which I think got kind of a bit more attention, was a bit more mainstream, Hunger is certainly worth a look and is kind of an interesting in-between place for McQueen, who's kind of started as a as a visual artist. It's 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 a traditional feature in format in some ways, and in other ways, it's more of an experimental film. So that is Hunger. It is on Hulu Plus and on Amazon Prime Instant Video. Okay, that's a great pick. My first pick which is available on Hulu Plus as well for streaming, is the 1947 film Brute Force. And this is directed by Jules Dassin, and it stars Burt Lancaster. And it's another kind of like super evil guard situation. Again, that's a a popular trope. Uh, In this one, the guard, the evil guard, is not someone you would expect based on, you know, what I think the other movies we know him for. Hume Cronin, small guy... Not the sort of physical presence, you know, and he's intimidating guys like Burt Lancaster, who's a big barrel-chested guy. But I think that's sort of part of the point is that you sort of see that power isn't necessarily physical power. It's intimidation. It's manipulation. It's all those sorts of things. What's the point, Captain? I've been to this rain pipe before. I've been there a hundred times. What's the idea of all this? Tell me, Louie. How does an illiterate like you become a reporter? Even a star reporter? I don't know, sir. I do. What business did you have in the drain pipe? I told you. Tell me again. To write a story. I don't like that answer. It is a film about a bunch of guys who are trying to rebel against the evil captain who's played by Hume Cronin and is sort of he's manipulating the prison to sort of try to take control. There is a, a warden who's his boss, but the there's been a bunch of incidents and we see that uh, Captain Muncie played by Hume Cronin is kind of trying to kick out the old warden so he can take control by um, messing with the prisoners and having all these incidents until the, the warden is essentially forced out. And what's, interesting i'd seen this movie once before a few years ago and enjoyed it and i took a look at it again last night for the podcast and what i found very interesting first of all was the structure of the movie which i kind of remembered is actually something that is taken in orange is the new black i don't know if genji cohen uh you know homage stole it for her show but it's very similar in that as the film progresses in prison we see how each of the prisoners got there and in their case, it's always about they're, – they're, they're all there because of a woman. They did something for a wife who they loved but wanted beautiful things, and they, so they stole or you know, they needed to pay for a surgery for a woman or – It's always a woman. It's always a woman. Always well, okay, a admittedly, <laughs> it does make you a little bit uncomfortable watching it now. Uh, but I thought that was interesting that you know, Orange is the New Black has the same structure. There are flashbacks to life before prison and how the person came to be in the prison. So I thought that was interesting uh, to see, first of all. And then the other thing that I thought was really interesting about it was you know, the movie was made in 1947. And I was sort of – at first I was like, oh, man, this is a, kind of a, a big – allegory for the blacklist you know because the worst thing you can do in in brute force and in a lot of prison movies is be a snitch uh is to be an informer and there are several guys in this movie who are informers for captain muncie that's how he kind of controls everything is by these informers and people ratting and i looked it up afterwards and i was kind of surprised to see oh no this is actually before the blacklist jules dassin the director was blacklisted he left the country 
about two years after this and started making movies in England. And some of his most famous movies, including Rafifi, were made after he had sort of left the country because he couldn't get work in America. But this was made before that. So I thought it was kind of interesting that it's sort of a very powerful allegory about, you know, refusing to talk and refusing to rat out your friends and, and sort of like going down with the ship in a certain sense. But on the other hand, this was made really before the blacklist. So you've got to go, well, what was it about? It must have been about other things as well. So it's a, it's a really intense movie. The title is sort of perfect. It's an effective movie. Nonetheless, I like, I like this movie a lot, even if yes. Okay. Some of the flashbacks and the blaming of women for (laughs) all of the men's troubles. It's it's a little un PC uh, to put it nicely. But I like this movie. It's Brute Force, and it's available on Hulu+. Plus. That's one I haven't seen. It sounds uh, pretty good, <laughs> despite, <laughs> despite the... certain aspects, yes. Yes. Uh, so my my second pick is actually also from 2008. I ended up picking two films from the same year. Huge year for prison. Huge year, year 2008. Yeah. Um, my second pick is Bronson, which is available for rent on Amazon, iTunes, Vudu, and Sony. It's also available via Magnet Releasing subscription YouTube channel. This is a relatively new thing that YouTube has launched where you pay a monthly fee, in this case $2.99 a month, and then you have unlimited access to all of the things in the in the channel. Hmm. So in this case, I think Magnet has about 25 films up there. So, you know, maybe worth it. Yeah, they, check it out. Got a, Magnet tends to pick up some interesting films. Mm-hmm. So Bronson is... Uh, from Nicholas Vinding Refn, whose film, of course, Only God Forgives, we spoke about in a recent episode. And uh, he's also the director of Drive. This is also a film that stars an actor who's since broken big, Tom Hardy, who plays Michael Gordon Peterson, a real person, who was renamed Charles Bronson after the actor um, because of his basic swaggering toughness and who has spent most of his life in solitary confinement or just in prison in general. And this is a very stylized film, maybe not surprising considering the director, uh, in which Bronson, Hardy as Bronson, addresses the camera a lot uh, and puts the content of Bronson's head uh, you know, out there. Basically, you see him on stage. You see him in makeup sometimes. Sometimes you see him in this reality. But even then, it's fairly heightened. And the whole kind of gist of Bronson's story is that he is maybe ideally made for prison. He's the right. best. He's his best, truest self in prison as a difficult prisoner. And uh, even when he does commit the crimes that when he's out and he commits crimes, they're usually these very impulsive, not particularly big or masterful crimes and he gets caught right away there's one part where he gets released from prison and he i think he's out for like 59 days and then he's back in again for years but it's a really phenomenal performance from hardy who it wasn't the performance that made him that made his career but it definitely you know it showed all of the talent that would go on to kind of make him the movie's current favorite bull-necked british guy i will now reenact what I like to call What Happens When Murder Goes Wrong. When do I go back? Now, now, Mr. Peterson, we aren't going to start up all that silliness again, are we? Listen, nursey, I just want to know when my trial is and when I head back to the slammer. Right? 
wrong, Mr. Peterson. Now let's not play silly buggers, eh? I'll just have to pop you in the body with one of my special potions. Mm. He's just, it just has all of this kind of charismatic rage to him. He just loves basically like fighting the guards or just causing chaos and trouble for no particular reason. Just like this kind of glee that he takes in, in these situations. There's one scene in which someone tries to teach him art and, uh, and it does not work out well for the person who tries to teach him art. Another way he like greases himself up so that he can fight the guards no, and right. basically slips away from them. Yes. And, uh, you know, it's this kind of, I won't say it's a celebration because I don't think that you could argue that things are working out that well necessarily for Bronson, but it does, it does present a portrait of someone that in a way that I've never really seen, which is to suggest, you know, that simply this is how this guy is. And that he maybe has never been suited for any kind of life in any kind of other way. That this, you know, this is where he belongs right. by maybe his own admission. Right. So, He's almost more free in prison in some yes, ways. Yeah. yeah He's like paradoxically the most himself. He fits yeah. in better. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we'll see in Orange is the New Black a kind of sad flip side to that story. But mm. uh, I, I think what's presented here is is weirdly filled with glee and is weirdly exuberant and features a great hearty performance. So that is Bronson. It is available on Amazon, iTunes, Vudu, and Sony, as well as YouTube. Okay, another good pick. I've got one more. This one is also available on Amazon, iTunes, and YouTube. It's the 1979 film Escape from Alcatraz, directed by Don Siegel. And after Shawshank Redemption, which is, you know, one of the all-time iconic movies, this is like when you say prison movie, this is the first one that comes to my mind. And also, earlier when we were talking about general ideas, like the heist film thing, where a prison movie is kind of like a heist film, or an escape movie is like a heist film, this one really, to me, kind of fits that mold. The motley crew, the lovable rogues, the impossible mission, the plan that has to be executed perfectly but never is, and you have to improvise, all of that is in Escape from Alcatraz. Uh, which is by Don Siegel, who, of course, made the original Invasion of the Body Snatchers and uh, Dirty Harry and a bunch of movies with uh, Clint Eastwood. This was their last collaboration together. And it's based on a true story of what is supposedly the only actual successful escape attempt from Alcatraz, which uh, before it was the setting of Michael Bay movies was an actual prison and was supposedly, you know, impossible to escape from, but these guys actually did it, or maybe did it. It's a situation where, like, we don't actually know what happened, but the film is sort of a fictionalized attempt to try to uh, recreate what might have happened. And Eastwood is one of the guys who's trying to escape. Patrick McGowan is the the evil warden, because, again, there's got to be one of those in every single movie. And... Uh, some of the other uh, criminals are played by, well, Fred Ward is the other, like, you know, guy who has a great supporting role in it. Alcatraz, The Rock. No one has ever escaped from this prison. This is Frank Morris. Armed robbery, burglary, grand larceny. Morris has escaped from many prisons. But Alcatraz could be the exception. There's still something burning. Hmm? I'm looking for a new punk. Good luck. You don't understand. I just found her. Have 
you seen this one, Allison? I have. And I mean, it's know, just a classic, it, like, yeah. it's very, like, iconic. Like, it, it feels like it's really, like, the ultimate prison escape movie in some ways with all the different, you know, like, chipping away at the wall and, like, having to, like, cover up the evidence and... You know, like it's just—it's kind of like the, you know, like the ultimate prison escape movie. Maybe not the ultimate prison movie, but uh, you know, it—it it definitely feels like one of the iconic movies of this genre or subgenre. Uh, so that's Escape from Alcatraz. If you've never seen it, it is—it is a really—it's a really fun movie. Fun prison? I don't know if it's fun, <laughs> but it's very entertaining. It it's is. very satisfying. The ending is awesome. It's definitely worth uh, checking out. It is available on. Amazon, iTunes, and YouTube. I've always loved getting clean. I love baths. I love showers. It's my happy place. was my happy place. Now it's time for our listener's choice section in which we review the film or TV show you voted for. And this will be one of the occasions we turn to TV or whatever you're choosing to call Netflix's original series. As Orange is the New Black handily beat out The Bay and Starlet in our poll. So Orange is the New Black is the fifth original series from Netflix after Lilyhammer, House of Cards, Hemlock Grove, and Arrested Development Season 4. It comes from Genji Cohen, who is the creator and showrunner of Weeds, and who loosely adapted the series from uh, a memoir of the same name written by Piper Kerman, who really did go to jail for the reasons described in the show. Uh, it stars Taylor Schilling, uh, who I'm sure we all remember from Atlas Shrugged Part 1, but not Part 2. As Piper, whose last name has been changed to Chapman in the series, a 30-ish Brooklynite uh, living a very bougie life of running an artisanal soaps and lotions company with her best friend and living with her writer fiancé or aspiring writer fiancé, played by Jason Biggs. As the series starts, she's preparing to go to jail for 15 months for a crime she committed a decade ago when she was dating a woman named Alex, played by Laura Prepon, who worked for an international drug smuggling ring. Orange is the New Black starts off as a fish-out-of-water story for Piper, but it quickly expands to being also about the many inmates, their lives in prison, and flashbacks to who they were before they arrived and how they ended up there. But since it does start with Piper, Matt, my question for you is what you think of her, since this is a character who is very deliberately not always likable and has a lot of privilege to confront. What do I think of her? Yes. Uh, well, she, no, she's a, I think she's a great protagonist for this show, particularly because she is so complicated and not so simply good or, you know, an innocent, you know, like, uh, she, you know, she, it was not like she was framed and went to jail for something she didn't commit. She she was very clearly guilty. Um, but on the other hand, she, uh, you know, she's not completely unlikable, and I think she's reflective in general of the approach to the prisoners in this show, which is they're all very complicated and very flawed people. They're, you know, they have things that are likable about them, and then they almost all have things that are unlikable about them. They're, and, and that's, I think, to the great credit of the show, is it has created this, this cast that feels authentic, uh, it feels real. They feel like, and 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 it's so large, and yet even the smaller supporting characters feel so well defined. And I have to say, 
I don't watch as much TV as you. It's much more like your thing, you know. That's, you know, being the TV editor of IndieWire and all. But uh, this, to me, felt like one of the better TV shows that I've seen in a while. I think it's very, very good. And one of the few things that really reminded me as I was watching it, and I I have to admit I haven't finished the whole thing yet. I've still got uh, – Three episodes left. I watched ten episodes. Those three, I would say, are probably the best. Oh, yeah. I've enjoyed it so far. I I still have a little to go. It's a lot to watch. I mean, this is ten hours of TV, you know, compared to like doing like a you know a ninety minute movie. But anyway, it it did kind of remind me of The Wire in some ways, which to me is like the greatest show of all time. So this is like that's a legit praise that I'm giving it here to say that it reminded me of it in the sense that it felt one very authentic and felt really in the in the way that it created this world that felt very real and also populated with characters who right down to the little small supporting characters who get a line or two here or there in each episode they all feel real and they feel fleshed out even when we don't know that much about them there there seems to be like they could all be the the character that's the lead of their own show and i think that's really great and and piper i think is a great lead in that world yeah i really like this this show i think it is one of the best shows i've seen as well in the last few years and i think one of the things that's interesting about it is that it starts off as being you know what is not what sounds like a great setup to a store like to a show to me which is you know oh this bougie white lady goes to jail hijinks ensue you don't think that's a good idea for a show <laughs> i think it's a great idea for a show i'm serious you really really didn't? yeah no, i was just because i was I feel like a lot of times when that happens, what you get is how does this Woe world of me. prison, yeah, and also how does this world of prison affect me in my, you know, like my Bouginess. white lady story? Yeah. yeah. But I think what, what the show does really well is to not make everything about prison start to reflect on her, right? She very Certainly much not. just like drops into this at world in which she has to kind of flounder to figure out. And a lot of the other characters immediately emerge as just as important as her. Uh, And, you know, and so different. Mm -hmm. I I think that, you know, I I do want to say before we keep talking about the content of the show, there is, I mean, the show is kind of standout, you know, content aside just for having one, a primarily female cast. Yes. That... Also, it's not about their relationships with men. Yes. You know, like that the romances are part of it. And uh, Piper's relationship with Larry, her fiance, is an ongoing storyline. But it's about how they relate to each other. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, that's so relatively rare still in mm-hmm. mainstream film and television that it's almost kind of shocking <laughs> when it turns up in the show. And also that it has an array of actresses that you just don't really get to see put in major roles in mainstream anything yeah of like women of color of many different ethnicities of different body types of different ages and sexual orientation orientations yeah it's amazing really like the the degree to which you get to see so many different character types and how great they are yeah you know i was thinking as i was watching this first of all absolutely true and also just you know we use the phrase character actor and there's we could we could name so many character actors male and we don't say the phrase character actress that much. And there's, it's hard to think of too many of them. And this show is so great because you see all these great character actresses who are not, you know, they're not leading ladies, right? They're not ingenues, they're, but they are incredible actors and they really get great parts. And there are so many of them in this show. I mean, 
it's like an embarrassment of riches for character actresses. So yeah, I completely agree with that. Yeah, I think it's interesting that you compare this to The Wire, which I think is like a very a fair comparison as much as this is kind of very deliberately a smaller story. It's, you know, kept to this one particular minimum security women's prison, but I think it manages to touch on a lot of themes about poverty, about kind of race and power in general and people who have power and people who don't in a kind of in a fairly effortless way Mm -hmm. like it doesn't need to be like here are the big themes that we're gonna to to kind of cover right and in that way you know a lot of the big the quality dramas that have defined like the kind of television being taken seriously lately from the sopranos to breaking bad to deadwood um they're all pretty butch, I guess. You know, they're pretty, they're pretty like manly, right? And this is maybe, I, this is one of the shows, uh, maybe the first one that I can think of that's really been, I think, of that like level of ambition and kind of speaking to those themes, the similar themes, while also being like very feminine. That's true. It's a, I, I can't think of another. I mean, again, I'm not the biggest expert on television. But I can't think of a, an example that I can point to um, besides this one. So I, I think that's very true. I mean, you say that it's a smaller focus, and I guess it is. It's you know, it's it's a it's all in this little world. But on the other hand, it's such a wide variety of characters. And the thing that I also think that it kind of compares to positively in terms of the wire is it's not just the criminals. Also, we get a lot about the guards, you know, and they're the, the variety of authority figures and just the the sheer size of the ensemble and the amount of characters that they juggle which i think is really impressive like i can't think of another show uh, even more than the wire that has a cast this big and like you said effortlessly juggles so many characters coming in and out and manages to find great spots for them in episode after episode and they really juggle this huge cast i mean not just the characters inside the characters outside you know because we we flash back it sort of has that brute force thing i guess it's also like lost it's certainly i mean i haven't watched a ton of lost but it definitely seemed like lost where you have flashbacks to before the island or before prison each episode and you have different characters getting their own spotlight episodes or spotlight flashback episodes but then there are characters who pop up in the flashbacks who recur over and over again, or even in the present, like, you know, like Larry's, uh, Jason Biggs's parents, who I think are hilarious, and uh, yeah, they could seem a little familiar, these <laughs> Jewish parents. I'm not going to say that they are my parents, but they, I, there were definitely some, the scenes with them certainly were cracking me up in a familiar way, I will say. So uh, I like that as well. I, I did one other thing I wanted to say that I probably should have mentioned earlier about Taylor Schilling as Piper uh, you mentioned she was in Atlas Shrugged Part 1. I can't think of a better example of it's the director, not the actor, than Taylor Schilling here and there. Because, frankly, she's horrible in <laughs> Atlas Shrugged Part 1. And she is fantastic in this show. She is really great. Yeah. Uh, fantastic. Really. I mean, th- there's an episode where she gets locked up in solitary confinement. And she has some amazing scenes in that all by herself there's this one scene where she's talking to someone through a grate we don't really know if it's a real thing or if she's imagining it but there's this long take that's just on her as she's kind of like losing her mind it's amazing and i'm going this is the same woman from atlas shrug part one this is incredible so i I should have mentioned that earlier and i wanted to make sure to mention how good she is 
after she was so bad in Atlas Shrugged Part 1. Yeah, I, she's really great and also manages to kind of make this character really compelling and someone you were invested in, even when she does kind of ridiculous or selfish or just oblivious things, which she does fairly often. Yes. And, and in a way that's pretty entertaining. I, I wanted to know if you had any particular character, like side character or a smaller character that you had, were, was a personal favorite. There's a lot. Yeah. I was, I knew you were going to, we were going to have to do this at some point. I think my favorite, although she hasn't really gotten, again, I haven't, I'm still like three episodes left. She hasn't gotten her own like standard episode, but I really love. I think it's Pousset is her yes. name, who's <laughs> yeah. sort of the sidekick to Tasty. Is it Tasty, yeah. who's one of the more is sort of one of the more uh, meatier supporting parts. She is hilarious. Uh, she gets she's just sort of really funny. She's sort of the comic relief, and I kind of brighten every time she pops up. You just know something is going to happen. There's a great episode where these kids get brought in. Uh, like a scared straight program and she's sort of there to intimidate them and they're sort of putting on this really intense you know gruff stay out of prison thing and and then she's sort of confronted with a, a kid who is in a wheelchair and it sort of throws off her whole game and she's trying to be tough while also feeling sort of empathetic to the kid in the wheelchair and also the kid in the wheelchair is really like tough and like I'm not scared of you. I'm like, I started my own gang. Like, it's, and it is such a funny scene. I mean, it's, I was laughing out loud. So there's a, it's a hard pick, yeah. but I think she would be mine. What about yourself? I think I'm going to go with Crazy Eyes. Who Crazy is, Eyes was my number is, two. Yeah, who's amazing. Solid. Played by an actress named uh, Uzo Aduba. And yeah, she starts off also like in the way that the show really allows the characters to start off maybe being perceived by the main character as a kind of a particular way. And then it just opens up these layers about them as it goes on. She's the character who is crazy, apparently, and who kind of chooses Piper as her, you know, to prison her wife, wife to prison be. Wife. Yes. And woos her in these really funny ways. And uh, and then every detail you learn about her as the show goes on just makes her more and more endearing, including the scene in which you see her parents. I don't know if you've gotten to that. Point I did yet. see yes. it's a, it's it's another huge laugh. Yes, it's like it's an a amazing very scene. brief scene. Yes, but it's a huge huge laugh, and she's great in that same scared straight one too. Yes. Uh, exercising her desire to be an actress in a really hilarious way. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. didn't mention the name of the actress. Samira Wiley plays Pusey. She is fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. And there I mean, there are a lot of, you know, we've mentioned Taylor Schilling. Laura Prepon does some very good work as Alex. Yep, from She's, that 70s yeah. show. Um, Kate Natasha, Mulgrew. Natasha Leone. Natasha Leone's hilarious. Great to see her doing well again. Yeah, she's and had she's some, really good. She had some dark days she in did. real life, and she is she's but she fantastic. But kind of, she brings it to the role. I yeah, think. clearly yeah. there is a little bit of autobiography there. Yeah. Um, we haven't mentioned the male cast. They're really good, too. Yes, Jason. Pablo uh, Schreiber. Yes, as a porn, porn, porn stash. stash. Yeah, Jason Biggs, uh, who has to kind of do some some dislikable things as well as the guy who's kind of feeling lonely and left behind and uh exploiting and he, the whole situation for his career yeah and he does some really good work yeah and um you know it's just it's such a great cast of actresses i it's it's i, I hope that it wins a lot of awards just because it seems it puts actresses on display who don't right. seem to normally get these platforms or just i hope people watch it you yeah. know i hope it's successful enough to you know carry on and also maybe inspire other shows to kind of follow uh, follow in its footsteps in terms of yeah these representations and the 
the actresses that it employs. You hope that – let's look at the kind of show where it's like after it goes off the air, however long it is, you just hope the people that were in it – kind of even like The like Wire. The wire exactly. Where like Idris Elba you know, was so amazing on The Wire and he went on to have a great career. You know, like people right. found him from that show. And there's a few other examples. And there's some that didn't, which is a shame. But you hope that uh, there are a bunch of Idris Elbas who come out of this show because there are people who clearly – uh, deserve it. We've been very, very effusive. Is there any negatives that you want to spotlight? Anything I, you didn't like about it? I think that, I mean, it is like, I think uh, overall, just the quality of the show is pretty phenomenal. I would say maybe Taryn Manning's character, who becomes very important also as the show gets towards yes. its end with episodes you haven't seen. She's kind of maybe more of a stereotype than this is, she plays Pensatucky, who's like the religious uh, white trash kind of white former addict. Yes. Yeah, like Who, that. She's she, she fits all of the stereotypes that I've just mentioned. Right. Of like, yeah, and uh, you know, she's funny. She's a funny character. She and is funny. Very it's funny a good moments. performance. You're yeah. right. The character is kind of a stereotype. Yeah, but I mean, it's a pretty minor complaint. I really, really like this show, and I, I do. If you haven't had a chance to see it, and you're tired of people talking about it on Twitter. You should watch it. It's worth it. It goes down very easy. I'd say it's also the first of the Netflix series so far that I genuinely wanted to binge watch and did binge watch. That's a good point. I was going to say the exact same thing, actually, that that um, this was the best at uh, nailing like why you would binge watch a show because the cliffhangers are great. That's, you know, that's something. Yeah. Before we, we close out this discussion, it's something I did want to mention in we have all these talks about how TV maybe can be something, especially in these in Netflix, some, somewhere between TV and film, right? That you don't have to do like kind of cliffhangers. You don't have to do like catch up on like what happened last episode right. and all of those things because right. it's all there. It's all released at the same time, etc. Yes. But I think that one of the things that I really didn't realize how much I missed until watching this is just episode structure and pushing from one episode to the next yes and all of these episodes like this is maybe the most traditionally structured of the shows so far and all of the episodes end with a push to what's going to happen in the next one yeah you literally cannot turn this show off i mean i watched uh you know 10 episodes in basically like 30 hours uh over the course of the weekend right before we recorded this and uh, it was very easy to watch them. This was not a struggle. It was very pleasant. And each episode ends with a beat where you're like, I have to find out what happens next. And that was certainly not the case with House of Cards, which was a good show. Right, but didn't but have urgency. There was one or two episodes with really good cliffhangers there. Otherwise, it really didn't. And then with the rest of development, I mean, which was okay, but not a lot of cliffhangers, not a lot of good cliffhangers. And so like kind of loose in the structure where episodes of this show which are 55 minutes to an hour feel shorter and tighter than Arrested Development yeah. at 30 minute episodes or 35 minute episodes it's just so much better I didn't get to say my kind of complaints oh, minor please, complaints please, please. let me get to them and then we'll wrap it up one uh, just visually it's still not you know like we're you know like television has gotten so good for storytelling acting this is not a very visually dynamic show. Like, I can't think of a single interesting visual moment, really. Right. And that's something that could be improved. Yeah, I'm not, I agree. It's not really a huge complaint. It's not like you're dying for it, but it wouldn't hurt. Right. I mean, like, compared to, we mentioned House of Cards, and certainly, I think, narratively, it's it, like, beats out House of Cards easily. No question. But, you know, that... House of Cards looked beautiful. Yeah, like, it was a know, better was looking gorgeous, show. Gorgeous, and it looked cinematic. And this it looks like TV. It looks like TV. It, yeah. it does, and it doesn't look like expensive TV. Which, no, it doesn't. You know, 
look, it wasn't. It was. It probably wasn't expensive yeah. TV. And just in general, like some of the sets and stuff. I don't know where they shot it, but like the the cafeteria, which is such an like it's, it's in every episode. It looks really small. It find I find it hard to believe that that's the cafeteria for an entire prison. It just you know like things like that, like little cheats where it's just like to to save money. Basically, it's a smaller world than it probably would be. I would say the only other thing I also kept driving me crazy. I have no idea if this is probably the weirdest complaint anyone's ever had. Jason Biggs's character never wears less than three shirts in any scene. <laughs> He's always wearing a t-shirt, a button-down shirt, and a sweater. It's just like, is this guy like cold all the time? Like it's just, I mean, maybe it's like making fun of Brooklyn fashion. I don't know, but it's just like it was driving me crazy how overdressed his character was in every That's single scene. Interesting. I did not notice that, uh, but. Now I'm not going to be able I have to look no, away. Apparently. I have no idea why. Like, watch any scene. He is wearing at least. They finally, the last episode I watched, someone finally made fun of his cardigan. Someone thought he might be gay because he was wearing this really like studious cardigan. But it was like the first time anyone observed the fact that he is so overdressed. And for like a struggling writer in Brooklyn, he's way, way overdressed all the time. Sitting at home, like watching television, wearing like four layers. It's just something that. <laughs> irked me in a very strange way that's fair enough um, so I, if there's a season two he they better figure that out they yeah. better work on that um there is going to be a season two it's already been renewed good yes i'm actually I'm, very excited I'm to hear very, that. i'm very excited for it no uh, one thing just to the idea of it looking like tv yeah you know um unlike house of cards and unlike hemlock grove even which i didn't see which you didn't see and i cannot recommend it was terrible yes um but you know those had film people involved and that's true and Genji Cohen is not. She's like a hardcore TV person. Right. She's come from a TV background solidly. And most of the directors working here uh, came from a TV background. One exception. Jodie Foster. Jodie Foster. I know. Yes. My, my, I have to admit, my jaw kind of hit the floor when I saw that. I was like, wow, Jodie Foster. What is she doing here? Uh, I didn't. I mean, that episode didn't really stand out Visually directorially right. in any way. But I mean, that's television. In TV, the directors generally are not like, you know, the auteurs. It's the writers. It's the producers who are really... Uh, uh, the guiding hands, but yeah, I know, I noticed that too. Is did was it Andrew McCarthy directing? Andrew McCarthy as well, yes. Who has actually a solid side career apparently now in directing television, right? But again, he's a TV director. He's TV not a director. film director. Yeah. No. But yeah. All right. Well, but look, I think we've we've we could probably just keep. I could probably talk about this forever. Really, yeah, heaping, heaping <laughs> it's, praise. It's, it's on a it. rich show. It's it, got a lot going on. Yeah, I think. But I think people, if you haven't watched it yet, I don't think we've spoiled anything, and I think you get the hint that we really dig it. Uh, so check it out. It's really good. I would say this is the best of the Netflix series. For Easily, sure. yeah. Yeah, I don't think there's any question. Uh, and I'm very excited to hear there isn't a second season because I, I'm, I'm even though you know like we're done talking about it, I am going to go finish it for sure tonight as soon as we're <laughs> done talking. So let's wrap this up so I can go finish it. Uh, so that's Orange is the New Black, and it is available on Netflix. Watch instantly. All right, let's wrap things up with Behind the Eight Ball, our segment where we run down some titles that are new to streaming, some listener recommendations from you guys, and one random film or TV show, I guess, chosen blindly by number from our Netflix queues. Allison, you're going first. Are you ready? I am ready. All right, let's start with three new releases. Okay, first up, we have Tabloid, which is new to Netflix. This is a 2010 film, American documentary by Errol Morris, the great documentarian. And it tells the story of Joyce McKinney, former Miss Wyoming, who kidnaps the object of her affections, Kirk Anderson, an American Mormon, and has her way with him. Uh, it 
It's really interesting, entertaining film that is built around the kind of interview that maybe only Errol Morris can get. Uh, and Joyce McKinney is a fascinating subject. So that's a tabloid. It's available on Netflix. New on Hulu is Prozac Nation, which is a kind of interesting oddity. It's the 2001 adaptation of Elizabeth Wurzel's memoir about her experiences with depression, starring Christina Ritchie. It was kind of notoriously acquired by Miramax after its premiere at the Toronto Film Festival in 2001, then never got a theatrical release. They just sat on it for years. It eventually came out on DVD in 2005. So if you're curious about this one, because it just kind of sat around and everyone kind of was like, where is it going to go? It's now available for free on Hulu, which is, I think, the kind of perfect place to check out films like that. And finally, a film we've actually already mentioned, but is I wanted to mention the site that it is on, which is Hit Bliss, which a few listeners have pointed out to us. It's a new streaming site in which you can watch ads, you can build up credit with those ads, and then purchase with that credit a, a renting, renting a movie. Yeah, Have you tried this site out yet, Allison? I have not, but I've seen it mentioned in a lot of places. All right, we so have it's not to invest- just a scam. <laughs> All right, we have to investigate this. We definitely, because it sounds, if it's legit, it sounds pretty awesome. Yeah, they do have a lot of newer films that are typically only available for rents. Um, And you can pay to rent them, right? Or you can use like partial balance. So if you've made like a certain amount of credit and it costs a bit more, you can put that on your card. All right. Maybe we'll we'll check this out. Maybe by the by our next episode, we can give a report to our listeners on on Hit Bliss. Yeah. But so that's the Sapphires is on there, and that's you know a very new film. So uh, that you can find that on Hit Bliss, and theoretically by watching a certain amount of ads, I don't know how many you can watch it for free. Yeah, that's going to be the kicker, I guess. (laughs) All right. How about two listener recommendations? Okay. Our first one is from Kwa N, who said, I just wanted to recommend The Truman Show, which I think is one of the best films of the 90s. My favorite Jim Carrey dramatic role. Released in 1998, the film is more relevant than ever as the last decade of popular TV seems to have been dominated by reality TV. I believe that a real-life Truman Show is likely to occur in the next 10 years, don't you think? And uh, yes, I actually, that sounds absolutely plausible <laughs> to me. As soon as we can work out the legality. I do think. Yes, as soon as we can work out the legality of it. So that is The Truman Show. It is available for streaming on Netflix. And another listener, Return of the Smith, said, I would like to recommend the fantastic Onion web series streaming on YouTube called Sex House. What starts out as a very well done parody of reality TV slowly evolves into a paranoid dystopian nightmare. Hilarious, well-made, and surprisingly difficult to watch at times. Hmm. I've seen a few episodes of this, and it is very well done. Yeah, I've never uh, even yes. heard of it. It's uh, It was one of those kind of uh, like originals that The Onion put out, like a mm-hmm. few different series. Like they did one that was spoofing TED Talks, and they okay. did another one. Um, there's a lot to so make fun of there. So this is kind of like Big Brother, it sounds it's, like? Yeah, it's kind of like Big Brother meets the real world. Okay. Yeah, where people are in this house together, and they're like, woo, I, I like that. House. I like that your listener recommendations almost sound, they're like, you, you had like a theme here. I it know. sounds like they would go together as a nice double feature. Apparently, we're all very afraid of reality television yeah. and the directions it's taking, justly so. All right. How about one uh, one film from your queue? All right. You give me number 10. And I, this is actually a Netflix original. Ooh. Uh, it's a comedy special. It's John Hodgman, Ragnarok. Right. I heard about this. Yeah. And it's uh, it's his comedy special, uh, basically kind of about the end of the world, in which he has like a survival guide for the Mayan apocalypse in kind of true 
know-it-all, you know, slash ridiculous John Hodgman style. You know, I think he tells you, according to the description, he his list of post-apocalyptic necessities includes beef jerky dollars, sperm whales, and mayonnaise. Um, awesome. Yes. And directed by Lance Bangs. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, I like John Hodgman. So yeah. I, it was one I put on my list. Awesome. All right. So now are you ready, Matt? Uh, yeah, why not? <laughs> no. Okay, yes. Okay, good. All right. Uh, three that are new to streaming. All right. First up, from 2007, Zodiac, directed by David Fincher, the amazing uh, true crime film about the classic San Francisco serial killer, uh, unsolved crime of the century with an incredible cast, amazing direction. I mean, I'm gonna every every couple of you know months I revisit this movie. It seems like, and the more I watch it, the more I love it. I mean, it's a movie about obsession, and I can't think of another movie in recent years that I've become more obsessed with. I mean, I love when I mean, 2007 was a great year for movies. There will be blood, No Country for Old Men. I liked both of those movies more. I think when when they first came out, but I think I might like Zodiac more now. I feel like Zodiac yeah. is now the winner. And I loved No Country for All Men. Yeah, I mean, me that too. was like my number one movie of the year. I was really happy that it won the Oscar. I think I like Zodiac more now, Allison. Oh, that's interesting. I can't stop watching it. I've watched it so many times. All right, so that's Zodiac. It is available on Netflix. If you've never seen it, it's amazing. Now available on Amazon Prime is Swimming with Sharks from 1994, directed by George Wang. This is... Uh, one I watched a few times in the 90s when I was a, I was a big Kevin Spacey fan. This was around, you know, The Usual Suspects, L.A. Confidential. I was a huge Kevin Spacey fan, and this is one of his classic 90s roles. He plays a evil, like, studio executive. He just constantly is awful to Frank Whaley, who plays his assistant. It's just a like a classic Hollywood inside baseball uh, you know, studio executives are awful kind of movie. He has some amazing quotable lines and some great scenes. I bet they're all on YouTube. Just, I bet if you, you know, like YouTube swimming with sharks, Kevin Spacey, you'll you'll get a, a good taste. You'll be able to see a few of these scenes and you can decide for yourself if you want to check it out. Not a great movie, but a great Kevin Spacey performance that I think is a lot of fun. So that's swimming with sharks. It's available on Amazon Prime. And finally, a new movie for you that's available uh, on iTunes, brand new. It's called Prince Avalanche. It's the latest film from David Gordon Green. Uh, He's kind of returned to his indie roots after uh, Your Highness and The Sitter and Pineapple Express. He's kind of gone back to the little movie thing. This is a very small movie about two guys, Paul Rudd and Emile Hirsch. They're out in a... Uh, a forest in Texas in the 80s that's been kind of like decimated by a wildfire and they are on a, a repair crew that's job is to just like redo the lines on the highway and they're just the two of them are just slowly going along painting these lines almost by hand and it's mostly about their relationship these two guys who don't really get along all that well they don't know each other all that much and how they fill a lot of time this is not exactly a taxing job so there's a lot of time for kind of killing time and how they do that and, and what they do. And it's an interesting movie. And I, I I really like it too because I feel like it kind of reflects on David Gordon Green's career. It's actually based on an Icelandic movie called Either Way that I've never seen. I don't think a lot of people have seen. But it feels very autobiographical in the sense that it's about like somebody or a bunch of guys kind of getting away from it all, getting out into like nature and trying to get like re in touch with yourself, your true self. And I feel like that maybe has some 
autobiographical elements for David Gordon Green. So that's Prince Avalanche. You can rent that now on iTunes. Okay, two listener recommendations. Our first one is from uh, Neva in Nebraska, who says, My recommendation is for every 20-something that wonders if the show they watched after school every day holds up today, chances... Uh, chances are the answer is a very strong no, but there is one that stands above the rest. It is the 1999 classic Batman Beyond, in which a retired and even more crotchety Bruce Wayne takes in protege Terry to be the new Batman. It takes place in 2019, and there are flying cars, and everyone still uses landlines, but who cares? The Jokers are now a street Street Gang, Wayne Industries, is now run by the evil Max Powers. God, that is a great name. Wasn't that Homer's name on uh, The Simpsons? Joe Kickass or something like that? I thought his name was Max Power. (laughs) I guess it was Max Power. Lance Uppercut. (laughs) Well, anyway, uh, overall, the show is well-written, entertaining, and so has surprisingly good villains. It's a good choice if you're looking for a new marathon. That's Batman Beyond. I think it's available on Netflix Instant. Batman Beyond is a little be- after my time. I have to admit, I've never really watched it. I, I watched the Batman animated series. I did too, yes. That was the one that I, I seen, watched after I've school. I've a few episodes of Batman, of this uh, this Future one. Batman? Yeah, Future Batman. But I yeah, I have not delved into it deeply. Maybe I'll check it out. I have to add it to my queue. It's something I should, I should take a look at. I like all that stuff. If you want more comic book talk... Our last episode with our special guest, Jordan Hoffman. There's a lot of comic book talk on that one. Uh, Okay, so one more recommendation. This one's from Dave, who says, Matt and Allison, these days, Netflix and Hulu Plus are my sources for TV shows, not movies. I try to catch most movies in theaters or renting them. And after binge-watching Hannibal on Hulu Plus, I needed to watch something a little more frothy and less forensic. On a lark, I checked to see if Jeeves and Wooster was available, and it was. When it comes to Stephen Fry and Hugh Laurie as a comedy duo, my wool was dyed long ago. Fans say that Jeeves and Wooster is the quintessential Fry and Laurie experience, and it casts Hugh Laurie as Bertie Wooster, a young, I hope I'm saying that right, a young, wealthy, aimless, airheaded gentleman of the 1920s. Stephen Fry is Jeeves, Bertie's erudite, urbane, sophisticated butler who both serves and protects Wooster from a motley cast of overbearing ants, gormless school chums. I don't, you don't get a lot of uh, feedback with the word gormless in it, Allison. And headstrong socialites prowling for a wedding ring. Based on the novels by P.G. Woodhouse, Jeeves and Wooster might be described as Downton Abbey as a farce. It's a British series, and the entire run from series one to four spans just 20 episodes. It's dry and silly, and just what I needed after Hannibal. It's fun, It's uh, and it is available on, what did we say, Hulu? On Hulu Plus. Okay, so that's Jeeves and... I've, I've never even heard of this show, Jeeves and Wooster. I've heard of it, but I have never seen anything from it. All right, well, it. it sounds pretty intriguing. Thank you, Dave, for the recommendation. All right, and one from your queue. You gave me number 99, and it's kind of a boring pick, but it's Days of Heaven from 1978. I actually just rewatched this movie because it's going to be the movie of the week on the website I work for, The Dissolve, I think either this week or next week. So there's going to be a lot of writing about it on The Dissolve. That's what I was rewatching it for. So if you're interested in hearing more about Days of Heaven, the Terrence Malick movie, which I'm guessing you've heard of, we're going to be talking about it on The Dissolve in the near future. All right. It's time to go through our new listeners' choice options. There are a ton of recent movies that are now available on Netflix and on iTunes and VOD. 
so we said we got to catch up with some of these you know it's it's time to see some of these movies that we missed <laughs> like all those movies from opening break that we haven't seen there are a lot of movies that come out these days there's a lot of movies it's sometimes it's tough to, to keep up with them all but this is a, a good excuse to catch up with at least one of them i would be happy with any of these three three options allison same we've got, we've got some good ones what's the first listener's choice option all right the first one is antiviral which is new to netflix this is a canadian horror film directed by brandon cronenberg a last name that may sound a little familiar to you yes this is a son of david cronenberg um and he seems to have inherited a little bit of his dad's uh, interest in body horror in that the film is set in a near future in which the celebrity obsessed can basically purchase virus viruses or pathogens that their favorite celebrities have suffered from and like get the take them themselves so that you can kind of connect with your favorite star by having the same cold that they had or something and of course this goes terribly wrong i can't imagine anything going badly about this plan allison <laughs> um but yeah it was well received it premiered at Cannes. um played toronto played, toronto. played fantastic Fest. yeah and you know it seems it's generally heralded as a smart uh a smart film and mm-hmm. it was his, it's his first film also once i got sat next to him at a dinner and i felt really bad that i hadn't seen the movie yet oh, and was trying to yeah he's a very nice guy though canadian so um so yes if we if we if this one we could i could finally watch the movie and retroactively fix that conversation i had and we could do i'm trying to think because sometimes we don't plan this well ahead and we don't have any idea what to do for a theme i think we could do body horror yes that absolutely. would be good or celebrity culture there's a few uh a few options we could do for that one. Yeah. Well, what's our second pick? Our second pick is another one I'm really looking forward to seeing. It is Passion, which I think also premiered at various festivals like Toronto and stuff. This is the latest film from director Brian De Palma. And it is a remake of a French film called Love Crime, which I haven't seen. And it uh, this is the plot description here. It says a Berlin-based advertising executive engages in a professional struggle with her assistant, and they are, I don't know, they're battling for control. It's an erotic thriller. I'm sure there's split screens. It's a Brian De Palma movie. <laughs> yes. You have Rachel McAdams and Numi Rapace are the two stars. Awesome cast, awesome director. We could do erotic thrillers. We could do Brian De Palma. I think that would be an awesome podcast. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to checking this out. This one I'll be seeing at some point before the end of the year, even if we don't pick it. That's Passion. It is available now on VOD and iTunes. Our third pick is Magic Magic, which is available on iTunes. This is a film from uh, Chilean director Sebastian Silva. One of two films that he made basically like around the same time. Interestingly, this was the bigger film uh, and kind of has been getting less attention and getting a smaller release than the one, the improvised one that he kind of made quickly on the side, which is called Crystal Fairy, and which uh, is getting or has already gotten a theatrical release. But Magic Magic stars Juno Temple as uh, a girl who comes to visit, I think, her friend, uh, played by Emily Browning, in Chile, and uh, then kind of gets stuck with her friends, uh, kind of maybe not that welcoming friends, played by Michael Sarah, Catalina Sandina Moreno, and Augustine Silva. And uh, it's been compared a bit to repulsion, uh, uh, you know, in that you're not really sure if things are going as wrong for this naive tourist as she seems to think they are, or if maybe she's just kind of having a mental breakdown. 
But, you know, it sounds like an interesting film. And I've seen Crystal Fairy. And so I personally would be interested in maybe talking about the differences between the two. And, uh, you know, I think there we could do psychological thrillers there or Americans Abroad. Yeah. Different topics available there certainly as well. So, yeah, I would be very happy to see any of these. Yeah. Three really good options. I I vote for all of them. I don't know. I'm I'm be happy with whatever wins. It's going to be a good episode any way you any way you guys vote. So it's up to you. So which movie should we review on the next episode of Film Spotting Streaming Video Unit? You can send your pick to SVU at filmspottingsvu.com, or you can enter in the poll on the right-hand side of the page at filmspottingsvu.com. Your vote must be received by Monday, August 19th. After that, we'll announce the winner on Twitter at our Twitter account, at FilmSpottingSVU, and you'll have all that week to watch the film and then join us for our conversation on our next episode around Tuesday, August 27th. FilmSpottingSVU.com is also where you can find our show archive, as well as a list of direct links to all the movies we've discussed on the episodes. The Film Spotting SVU remix theme song is by Vince Vandal. You can listen to more of Vince's work at VinceVandal.com. And we will be back in two weeks with more movie and the occasional TV recommendation and the movie review you pick. In the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter at at Allison Wilmore and at Matt Singer. And you can follow the show at FilmSpottingSVU. That's where we announce the winner of each show's listener's choice and where we share more streaming suggestions from SVU listeners. For FilmSpottingSVU, I'm Allison Wilmore. And I'm Matt Singer. Thanks for listening. <laughs>